this is to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. If anybody needed to know how to live for Christ in a world that misunderstands them and is opposed to them, it would be these churches that Peter was writing to. And so I think that we could relate in some ways uh, to Peter's words to them. Peter's preparing the church for how to relate to a world that misunderstands and opposes Christianity. And so he's saying, get ready, opposition is coming, things are going to be hard, you're up for it. And what does he tell them? Does he tell them, oh, well, you should go get a firearm, or you should go build a bunker, you should go paint your picket signs, you should increase your your political lobby funding, Uh, you should upgrade your PR campaign, you should get ready for this no-holds-barred mudslinging battle. No, he doesn't say any of these things. He says, live with pure hearts and pure lives. Love and integrity is the way that we respond to the world around us. So this morning we're going to look at seven things that happen when we live in the world with pure hearts and pure lives. Why would we do this? And what happens when we do this? Uh, Seven things that happen when when we shine like Jesus in the world around us. Uh, Matthew five sixteen that our small groups were <clears throat> our small groups were looking at this morning says let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven and I think First Peter kind of fleshes that out a little bit of what what does it look like to shine what does it look like to put your good works on display in front of the world. First Peter 3 reminds us that the Christian community is not to be characterized by fear or nastiness or aggression, but characterized, seen by the world in this way. And we'll start in verse 8 of First Peter chapter 3. He says, finally, you know, he's talked about a lot of other things, and this is his final message to all those who follow Jesus. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. You know, this harmoniousness. Have sympathy, you know, where people uh, have compassion for others' hurts. Have brotherly love. We should be a group of people that just treats each other like family. A tender heart. This word... um, it, the, the literal rendering of this word talks about your innards. It's like you feel something, you know, deep, deep in your, in your gut. You know, you're moved by, by other people and your, your tenderness toward them. And finally, a humble mind. So it's not like you're seen as this group of people that, oh, they're so nice and they do all these nice things and they think they're better than everybody else because they do all these nice things. No, it's they live in a loving way and... They are humble about it. This is how we are to live in the world. This is how we should be uh, characterized as a church. But, but what about how we respond and interact with those who oppose us? Verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Someone slanders you, 
someone slanders us, well, we don't return in kind. We return by being kind. Um, it, it's interesting, in this passage, there's, uh, it talks about blessing on, a, on more than one occasion, and it's, it's two really different uh, words behind it. And this word here, it's, uh, it just means to speak good words. It, it's actually the word we get eulogy from. And unless you're just a really terrible person, if you're giving a eulogy, you try to think of something nice to say. And, uh, and that's the idea here, is someone is, is slandering, someone's reviling, somebody's antagonistic, and you find something good to say about them, a good word in return. So what happens when we live this way? What happens when we live with, with pure hearts, you know, these attitudes of, of humility and sympathy and, and pure lives right in the middle of this world? Well, here's the first thing that happens is you will live out your purpose. You'll, you will actually experience what you were made for, what you were designed to be. Uh, the second part, part of verse 9 says, For this you were called. You were chosen and commissioned by God to, to live a pure life. <laughs> what you were designed for, what you've been made new for. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm curious, um, what does our culture think is the purpose of Christianity? If they were to say, okay, all those people over at the Baptist church, what are they trying to do? I think some might think, well, they're out to condemn us or they're out to coerce us or, or something else. And Peter says, no, you were called to live a pure life. You were called to love. You were called to integrity. You were called to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. This is your primary calling is not to change people, but to be changed by Christ, to be sanctified, to be transformed. And when you're transformed to be more and more like Jesus, God begins to transform the world around you through that. When you live in the world with integrity, you are living out what you were made for. Well, second, you will be spoken well of. The, the end of that verse says, so that you may obtain a blessing. So this is that same blessing word we just talked about. It's a, it's a good word, a, a eulogy. <laughs> People will, will say, speak well of you when you live love and integrity. When you respond to reviling with good words, then you tend to become the recipient of good words. So to change how people speak about Christianity, change how you speak about other people. It begins to shift an attitude. But the truth is, though this tends to be the case, and this may be what this verse is talking about, uh, we can never guarantee that's going to be the case, right? That someone could be very loving and uh, live with a totally pure life and still be uh, reviled. Uh, that was Jesus, right? He lived in absolute integrity, pure love, 
and, uh, and he was reviled. Well, that's why I think there's, there's another profound way to look at this verse, especially because it says that you may obtain a blessing, which really means to inherit, thinking of the end when you finally receive something, is you will receive good words from God. At the end of your life, no matter what kinds of bad things people might have said about you, if you live with love and integrity, your master, as it says in Matthew 25, will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God himself will speak good words about you when you live in love and integrity. So when we focus on Christ-like words and Christ-like actions, we're spoken well of by God and typically by other people as well. So this, this might seem like a crazy response. You, know, you return good for evil, but it's your calling, and it changes how people perceive and talk about Christians. Well, then Peter shifts gears and talks about a third reason, and to do that, he quotes from Psalm 34. The next few verses are, are right out of Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And in First Peter, this is verses 10 and 11, and it says this, Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Uh, anyone in here desire to love life and see good days? Yeah, that's, I, I would like that. Then how do you do that? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Well, this might seem simple, but when you live as you were intended, uh, You'll have a better life, and I'll clarify that some, but it's how God's designed it to work. If you live with Christian integrity, things generally go better for you. For instance, uh, this says you keep your tongue from evil. You don't, uh, you're not saying nasty things. You're not arguing. You're not name-calling, but you're holding your tongue, keeping from, from just spreading the nasty talk. Keeping lips from speaking deceit. You know, you're, you're honest. You're, you're telling the truth. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Well, perhaps this just means you are avoiding temptation. You're avoiding moral compromise. When, when you are plopped down right in the middle of a world that doesn't believe the same way you do, then it's real easy to just kind of get sucked into living the way that those do around you. And this psalm and, and this epistle both they don't, don't do that. Keep away from evil. But possibly it also is just saying, don't, don't return evil for evil, as, as he has just said a couple of verses earlier. People revile, resist. Say something good, back. You can see when you look around at the, the state of the church, when, when prominent Christians do immoral things, it damages uh, the church as a whole. It makes things more difficult for the church as a whole. Now we have to try to, you know, explain or distance ourselves or whatever it might be, and people have lots of, of mud to sling. And Peter says, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Live pure. Speak well. Live right. We, as a church, should be the kind of people that everybody uh, hopes moves next door. Like, 
oh, my neighbor's moved out. I sure hope somebody from First Baptist Church moves in next door. Or, um, or parents say, oh, man, um, I, I don't really go to church, but I sure hope uh, my kids pick friends from First Baptist Church. Or I, uh, you know, maybe you are a, a waitress and you think, man, I sure hope those people from First Baptist sit at my table. Teachers want you in their class. Employers want to hire you. This is how Christians should be. We should be the people that, that, um, that others are drawn to, that others have something good to say about. Uh, Scott Ray, who was one of my professors at Talbot, and uh, Kinman Wong, they wrote a book together called Business for the Common Good. And it's really about the intersection of ethics and, and, and business and and how those things actually do go together. And they, their premise is, in the long run, good ethics is generally good business. You know, when people um, are honest, and, uh, and there's a level of trust in these, you know, these ethical characteristics, these moral, moral characteristics, um, it's good for business. And uh, that's a little bit of a side topic, but my point is that uh, living with integrity in the world, living with, with love in the world should, uh, should draw the world to us. It's, it's good for the world, and, and they know that. It's good for society, and it's good for your own life to live like Jesus. And so uh, Peter, in verse 12, he, he, reads, uh, or he quotes the, the next verse of Psalm 34, which says this. Why should you live this way? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We might say that when you live with love and integrity, uh, you secure God's help. We would love to uh, change our world. We'd love to have this be a a better place and for more people to be followers of Jesus. I, I think we all would love this. And it's as if God is saying, uh, if you want to ch- change the world in your own strength, uh, have at it, but you're on your own. <laughs> if you want to change it with, with your, your might and your argument and your power and your cleverness, then uh, feel free, but you are on your own and it'll be a train wreck. But if you live with Christ-like love and integrity, then God is right there to help. As your, heart, as your heart's transformed, your life's transformed, and it begins to change the people around you. About a thousand years ago, give or take, the, the Crusades were just a prime example of, of Christendom trying to change the world through might and power rather than love and integrity. Here, a thousand years later, we are still reaping... Um, the the ill effects of that whole uh, disaster. There's a there's whole you know places in the world, parts of the globe that have a resistance to the good news about Jesus because of things like the Crusades that happened you know a thousand years ago. And uh, we can see when we try to do things in our own strength, our own cleverness, our own power, it's a disaster. But when we live like Jesus, in the midst of this world, then God comes to our aid and does the transforming himself. 
So when we ignore Jesus' example, it leads to a big disaster. But what about hardship that actually comes from following Jesus? Because that sometimes happens as well, and Peter was gearing them up for it. And so verse 5, I mean, uh, point 5, <laughs> these are not verses. The fifth point here is that you will experience blessing even in hardship. Even if your life is difficult because you're following Jesus, you can still be blessed. And this is the other word for blessing, which means uh, to, be, to be happy. It's, you know, my, uh, my soul is all right. I have that shalom, that peace, that goodness, that, that, that warm, fuzzy feeling from the Lord, even though the world around me is a total wreck, even though difficult things are happening in my life, even though people um, are against me, etc., I can be blessed when I live like Jesus. You'll experience blessing even in hardship. Uh, verse 13 says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, uh, if you're big passion in life, you're all excited about doing good, uh, who's going to be against that? You know, it, it's hard to make a campaign against goodness. Uh, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And verse 14, uh, continuing on, says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In other words, even when hard things are happening, if you are pursuing love and integrity, you could still live this way. You don't have to be living in fear. You don't have to be uh, troubled, all in a panic, agitated, turmoil. But instead, verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. You could be at ease that Christ is the master. He's still in charge. He's the Lord. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now here's something to ponder. Um, how likely is it that somebody is going to ask about the reason for the hope in your life if you are generally a jerk to people? And nobody asks. Nobody cares. Nobody comes to you, I just wonder what, what it is that's different about your life. You know, what's that hope? No, if you're the uh, annoying neighbor or the lazy employee or the person who's, who's ranting and raving or whatever, nobody's going to ask and nobody's going to care about the hope that's in you. But when you live a life of love and integrity, people will want to know and they'll ask and you need to be ready to tell them what is the reason? Well, sixth, if you maintain your integrity in the face of opposition, uh, the sixth thing that will happen is you'll actually embarrass the antagonist. Not that this wants to be our, you know, our primary battle cry. is like, oh, <laughs> we'll make them look like fools. But, uh, but it's a, uh, a, a side effect, we might say. Verse 16 says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You actually silence 
the opponents of Christianity by living like a Christian. When you live with love and integrity, uh, you, you embarrass those who have a problem with Christianity. They're trying to dig up dirt, and, and there's not dirt to find. Uh, verse 17 says, it's, it sounds overly simple. Like, would you need to say this? But he does. He says, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Um, and uh, I didn't intend to say this, but sometimes, you know, how I am, things pop in my mind. And there's a movie where a character says, um, like my mother also said, it's better to be good than to not. And it's, it's like, well, yes. It's, it's better that you would suffer for, um, for doing what's right than for doing what's wrong. But as I thought about it some more, like, well, maybe that isn't as plain as I thought. Maybe we think, well, if I'm going to suffer, I should at least get to do the wrong thing. <laughs> he says, no, it doesn't work like that. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, why is it better? Well, for all those reasons that are listed up there, it's better to live with love and integrity. And finally, number seven, is best. it's better because... You will follow in the steps of Jesus. Verse 18 says, he's giving the ultimate example here, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus, the perfect righteous one, he suffered he suffered unjustly to bring us to God. And so Peter says, your, your master, this is what he did. He was the shining true light that came into the world. Um, some responded to that light and were forever changed and brought into the family of God. And others said, ah, that's too shiny, that's too bright. And they rejected him and ultimately crucified him. And Peter reminds us that to follow Jesus means to follow him all the way. So it puts us in this whole other category where it's not, well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do this to them. They posted this on Facebook, so I'm going to post that on Facebook and back and forth, whatever it might be, however you might retaliate. And he brings up the ultimate example of Jesus who did something entirely different. He had all the power in the universe, and he would withheld using that except to display his love and purity. He, uh, he looked right at his accusers, and when he could have made some clever argument to, to maybe get, get off of the hook, uh, he just stayed silent. And uh, this was the kind of things that characterized his life. Jesus was the true light, and Jesus designates us as lights to shine in the darkness. So again, Matthew five sixteen, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus both showed us and he told us how to shine, and that is with pure hearts and with pure lives. Christians living with love and integrity in the world is the way that God has decided to change the world. That, that's his method. When, when you and I live like Jesus in the midst of a world who doesn't necessarily know Jesus, 
God uses that to begin to restore the world around us. It's how he restores uh, communities, how he restores cultures, how he restores uh, countries, when his followers live like him. Um, I've heard stories from missionaries in a variety of places that confirm this theory. <laughs> I've heard from uh, Morocco and Bangladesh and India and Syria, places that tend to be really hostile to the Christian method. And that is that when followers of Jesus just love and live in integrity among the people, that there's far more receptivity to the gospel message. I mean, this seems uh, so obvious that we don't even need to state it, but, but we need to because we need to remember it's true in our lives as well. So you want to transform or restore your family. Maybe you live among those who are, are not followers of Jesus, who don't share um, your faith. Uh, you do that by living with love and integrity in your home. You want to transform your workplace. Well, don't be lazy or dishonest or grouchy, difficult. Live with love and integrity. You want to transform your block and your neighborhood. Don't be that annoying neighbor. Live with love and integrity. I want your town, your state, your country, your world. Love and integrity. Don't flee. Don't fight. Just love and do what's right in this world. So our challenge is, in a dark world, shine. People should look and notice and say, wow, that is something unique and different. Somebody who, um, who loves sacrificially, who really cares. Someone who, who is honest when it's difficult, who, who tells, tells the truth, who doesn't cheat, and on and on and on. And God will begin to use you to restore the world around you when you live like Jesus uh, showed us how to live and how he told us how to live. And uh, we most definitely need his help to do that. So I'd love to just pray and, and ask for that right now. Lord God, we, we call on you. Um, I'm just so thankful for your example of loving and living in purity and not retaliating. And we sure need your help to do the same thing. Help us to, to love one another in a way that, that uh, shows to the world what you're about. Give us the courage and strength to, um, to resist uh, moral compromise and, and instead let our good works shine before others that, that they might be impressed with you, not that they would be impressed with us. And so, Lord, we know we need you to do this, and so we call on you, and we do this in Christ's name. Amen.